If you ever disagree with your partner on parenting, actually, I think everybody disagrees on something, so I don't think that should even be a question. But today, we're talking about how to work through it when you do disagree, specifically on how to feed your child. Feeding is such an emotional topic and brings up so much history for us and how we are raised. Whether you want to have those same values that you were raised with or you want to try something different with your child. But what if you and your partner are not on the same page? In my case, it's like, I think I'm right and he doesn't, but (laughs) I know I'm right. I know I'm right, right? Today, I talked with Dr. Cassidy, who is a therapist who specializes in marriage and family therapy. I can't wait for you to hear this episode, even if you don't disagree on feeding, but there are other aspects of parenting where you don't see eye to eye. The tips she gives are ones that I'm going to use myself because she gives a great framework for better communication and understanding. This is Feeding Toddlers Made Easy. I'm Casey Barnes, registered dietitian nutritionist and mom of two. If you want actionable tips to make feeding your little one less overwhelming and mindset shifts to help relieve some of the mom guilt, you are in the right place. Make sure to hit the follow button on the podcast so you can always find it. And now it's time to chat with Dr. Cassidy. Hi, Dr. Cassidy. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to be able to chat with you and connect with you in this way. Yes, I'm excited too. So you guys, Dr. Cassidy is a therapist and we're going to talk today about when you don't totally agree with your partner on some things, which I'm sure has never happened to any of you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Will you tell them a little bit about you and what you do? Yeah. So I'm Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I am based out of California, San Diego specifically, but I have a virtual practice where I work with individuals and couples who live in California. I specialize in those early years of parenting for millennials. And so a lot of folks coming in, navigating the challenges of parenting, of being a working parent or their dynamics with their partner or boundaries, identity, anxiety. Gosh, parenting can be so triggering of our old stuff. So I definitely also work with folks as it relates to, you know, past stuff, childhood traumas or recent traumas that they're working to process. I am trained in EMDR, which is a evidence-based approach for uh, treating trauma. And I also host the podcast Holding Space, which I, I share every other week, new episodes, sharing conversations with experts and diving into all these, all these topics related to being a parent during those early years. And you and I first met through Instagram, really. That's how I mm-hmm. meet all my all my good friends these days, it seems like. <laughs> but we got to know each other more intimately through our connection in the Good Inside community with Dr. Becky. So that was really fun for us to get a chance to meet like weekly or every other week and just talk about all the good stuff as it relates to parenting. Yes. I loved that group. I'm so thankful for it. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Dr. Becky, maybe you should check out Dr. Becky at Good Inside as well. For all things parenting, 
So let's dive in, Dr. Cassidy. I like to, in my episodes, I just get right to it because, you know, parents, they don't have all the free time. Let's go. (laughs) Like, let's do the deep dive now. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay. So some, the reason that I invited you on was because I hear so often from parents who usually moms, just because that's Mm -hmm. primarily who follows me, but I hear from moms that, you know, when you have a toddler, it gets a lot more challenging in a lot of ways. It's so different from having a baby, but then when it comes to feeding their child, so many people carry stuff with them of how they were raised with food. And then when you don't agree with your partner on that, it can cause a lot of trouble. Is this something that you ever hear parents talk to you about? Totally. I think it's one of the first things that can show up in a couple relationship that is like, whoa, we didn't, we didn't plan for this part. Like we didn't have this conversation before we became parents. Cause most of us don't, you know, yeah. uh, sleep can be one of those triggers. Cause that's one of the first things where you're having to make like a lot of decisions around when, where's the baby going to sleep? How are we going to approach putting the baby to sleep? Like all those big decisions, but then and you're sleep deprived. So that just like adds to it, but you know, adds to the chaos and the messiness of it all. But feeding your child can be one of those first times where you're, you're really trying to navigate these big decisions. It feels like the stakes are high. We get, we have so much information now at our fingertips, which I think can also lead to us feeling like we, you know, the stakes are even more high. Like there's a maybe quote unquote, right way of doing this. Right. And we bring all of our SHIT baggage, like (laughs) from our childhood, from growing up, from our own relationships with food, that feeding can be really triggering. And what's so interesting is, you know, it'd be one thing if it was just us, right? I mean, like not, I mean, being a single parent comes with all of its own stressors, but like, if you like, you know, we're just making these decisions on your own and navigating that. Okay. Like there's obviously the lack of support that would make that difficult, but it's like, okay, this is just like my own triggers, my own stuff. But when you're navigating this with a co-pilot, you know, so to speak, and you're both in this space with each other, trying to make these decisions it can be really hard to feel like you're, you're on the same page. You're on the same team, especially like you pointed out earlier, maybe there's one of you who's on Instagram following mama knows nutrition is taking in all of this information is learning these things. And you go into these, you know, feeding moments with your child. And like, there's no shortage of them. You're feeding your kid multiple times a day. And you're wanting to navigate it in a certain way. Maybe your partner hasn't been reading these same things or isn't on board with this. And all of your own triggers are coming up from your old stuff. Maybe you're not even fully aware of that. And it can be, yeah. it can be really, really sticky. And not just because feeding toddlers is sticky. It can be sticky for the couple too. Yes, I know so many things you touched on so many important things. And I feel like one, you also have input from other family members too. So that can be a constant, like in your ear, your mother, your mother-in-law, your father, whoever it is. And so you're getting that one side of it and that can feel pressuring to do things a certain way. And it might be different from what your partner feels. But the other thing that I will say that I do feel is very challenging is that 
even if you are, say somebody is following me or whoever, they're learning things, a lot of the things that are helpful for feeding your toddler are not intuitive. So when your partner hears it, they're like, that doesn't sound right. So you're coming up against this thing where you're like, I get it. This is different from what we learned, but I think this could work. So let's talk about how do you start addressing this with your partner when you start noticing that this is a challenging issue for us? Totally. Okay. So first you'll, there'll just be the noticing, right? There'll be the noticing that maybe it's in your face noticing. Maybe it's just little body signals that when you are feeding your child and you're both in the same space and things are coming up, you might feel tense with the way that your partner said something or you guys kind of get into it, or you find yourself feeling triggered by a particular situation. I think it's really important, like in that moment when we are triggered, it's oftentimes, and if we're dysregulated, it's oftentimes maybe not the most ideal moment to, to unpack it, right? But let's first notice it. Okay. Following the noticing it can be really helpful to approach your partner and say, Hey, let's talk about, like, we haven't talked about this yet. And I think it'd be really helpful for us to kind of talk about, you know, mealtime and feeding our child. And it can be really helpful to first, if you're the one kind of presenting this, like entering this conversation, you know, kind of take you some ownership a little bit over what you've been noticing. I've been noticing that when things get really messy with my child, with, the, with our kid feeding our, them, themselves, I find myself getting really kind of triggered and a little like irritable. Or I catch myself saying these things that I don't think are actually really helpful, but were things that I was told when I was a kid. Or I noticed that when I did this, it actually felt really good, right? I've been reading this one thing that, or following this one account, or I took this, I listened to this podcast episode or took this course and it's been really helping. And I tried this or that, and this is what I noticed really helped. So outside of the moment, first we notice that outside of the moment, coming to our partner and kind of taking some ownership over things we're noticing, things that are helping, and kind of creating the space for us to both have a conversation about what we're bringing to the table, like literally and figuratively. <laughs> so for instance, my husband and I, oof, feedings were super triggering for both of us in, in different ways. And when we eventually came to realize that like we were not on the same page slash also bringing a lot of baggage to the table, we did take some time and space to, to kind of unpack it. And so it was really helpful for both of us to kind of take some time to explore what our own sort of like history and story around food was looking at growing up, you know, things like, you know, were there was like, what was considered quote unquote junk food? You know, how do people talk about different types of food when it came to like, what's junk, what's good, what's bad, what was available? You know, was there any food insecurity growing up? Was there, you know, what was sort of the, the process of, of feeding in terms of the energy, the mood, what was said, what was forced, you know, all of that. And when my husband and I sat down and kind of talked about it, like just one thing, for example, was when I, when I was growing up, we had a quote unquote, like junk, no, it was not quote, it was called the junk food drawer. 
And just, you know, that's where like the fruit roll-ups were and the chips and all that stuff. Candy. My husband was like, there was none of that in our house. Like my, like from like my parents didn't allow that. He looked, he's like, I don't think they trusted themselves or trusted us with a junk food drawer. And so just even in that, there was a lot that came up in terms of like, when we go grocery shopping, what we bring into the house, how we talk about things. If it's, is it junk? Is it not junk? Do we like how we talk in front of our kids? Like my husband may be saying like, oh, I'm going to hide this because I don't trust myself with this available. Right. So things like that, things that I remembered, you know, growing up my, I was really thin and my grandmother and a lot of cultural components in that and her own history around food insecurity. And, you know, she really thought that I needed to bulk up. And so she, there would always be like, you need to drink your milk and you need to, and I'd be like, I don't like milk. And it's like, you have to drink five more sips of your milk before you can leave the table. And I just, I would find myself then with my kid saying things like, you know, two more bites and then you can have dessert, you know? And it didn't feel good. And it, it kind of went against some of the, my, my, my ideas around like, Hey, you're the only person in your body. Like who knows like what feels right in your body as I, I don't actually really like the dairy doesn't really sit with me well. And so, <laughs> you know, I, but what I learned early on was that like, I'm not my, what, what my body's telling me isn't right. In order for me to stay like connected to this adult in my life, I need to ignore my body cues and just listen to what they're saying my body needs. And gosh, that the impact of that, like long-term, lots of different ways in which that can show up in my life, in our, in our lives, right? So we notice, we sit down, we share kind of what we're noticing is coming up for us as it comes to feeding and meals. We spend some time like both hearing each other out in terms of like what we're bringing to the table in terms of what growing up was like with food and what some of some of our beliefs are around food. Like there might be some things that were like, "Eh, I want to change that. Or like, this is kind of how I view it. And like, let's kind of explore why I view it this way, where this is coming from. And so I think what's really helpful about that is it kind of brings some context to the picture, right? So if our child like wants a snack before, before dinner, or want something sweet, like with dinner. And one of us gets triggered by that or has some sort of big reaction to that or has a belief around that. I, in that moment, instead of like jumping to conclusions or getting really critical or whatever the cycle we can get caught up in, if I can pause and say, huh, I can, I can have this interpretation of their behavior or their decision in that moment, that's going to have a little bit more compassion and understanding. Absolutely. I think that's so helpful to think about having that conversation. Cause like you said, it just kind of starts off by you having more understanding and for, and compassion for where they're coming from, which is a total different place than when you're heated in the moment, you didn't like what they said or what they did. And you're like, don't do that. You know, that's such a different interaction. Yeah. So when things would happen around the dinner table, around a meal, and my husband would say something that I'm like, like not aligned with like how I want us to approach food and meals, like with our kids, I was able to pause and I was able to, before letting like that, like frustration or anger jump in the driver's seat, I was able to pause and be like, huh, is that based on kind of what we've talked about? Like it actually makes sense. And like, sometimes in the moment I will like, 
jump in and offer a different perspective. And, you know, because we've had the conversation, he kind of knows where that's coming from too. Other times after the fact, we'll kind of revisit it. If there's anything that I feel like needs to be repaired with my, with, with my kid, maybe he'll do that, you know, say, Hey, you know, maybe after him and I talk, maybe he'll go back later on and be like, Hey, earlier i got really like really rigid about you not having that cookie like on the plate with dinner and that you had to you know eat certain bites before you could have that cookie and you know what i think that's i think that's like old stuff for me like old stuff for me from when i was a kid and like that wasn't really allowed and i'm starting to think differently about these things and you know i'm sorry about that you know like maybe maybe your partner can do that if your partner isn't in a place to do that maybe you can come in and have that conversation to repair but what I think can be a really important part of that conversation with your partner too, once we're having this and to keep coming back to is to zoom out and ask each other at the end of the day, what do you, what do we both want our child's relationship with food to look like? And my guess is that somewhere in there, you're going to have some common thread or some common ground. And you might have different ideas right now of like how you get there. But if we can first land on like, we both want similar things for our kid, that commonality, that common thread can support us in moving from this like position of like me against you in this to like, I'm very visual to like shoulder to shoulder, like together looking at this thing that we want to support our kids in developing a healthy relationship around. And if we have the understanding and compassion for the luggage that both of us bring, bring into this, you know, from our past, and we also have this bigger picture sense of like what it is that we, like where, where we want our kids to be and where we want to see them go. I think that we're, we're in such a better position of being on the same team from there because a lot of times what happens is when we look to see where we want our kids to go, like how we want their relationship to food to look like, and we look at our own relationship with food and how, you know, there's some, it's, there's some sticky spots there. There's some baggage there. And we look at how we got there. Sometimes it's a little bit easier for us to unhook ourselves from the beliefs that we've, we've absorbed over time. Because, you know, the way that I might react to my child when they're eating things that might come out of my mouth, like just very reactively, is probably coming from stuff that is familiar, things that I heard, messages that I have received, things that I had to protect myself from around growing up, and my own story related to food. But if I want my kids to have a different experience, if I want my kids to have a different relationship with food when they are, you know, 36 with kids, you know, or whatever, gosh, maybe this means I got to take a different approach. Right. And so when we kind of really slow down and have these conversations with each other and unpack some of the luggage baggage that we bring to the table, I think that we're in a much better position to find ourselves getting on the same team or being open to learning a new way. There's so many nuggets here, and I love this idea of slowing down, getting on the same page as your, uh, as your partner, and really just taking a deep breath through this and making the space for it. I think that along with that, the idea of repair 
is very freeing to say that, you know, we're going to say the wrong thing sometimes that we can't prevent that, even if we have the right intentions, even if we started talking through this, but there is that opportunity for repair with your child. So it's not like, you know, anything that happens now is set in stone. We can come back and revisit it. Absolutely. One thing that our colleague, Dr. Becky talks about is this idea of pre-repairs. And so if someone's listening to this episode and they're like, oh, like, yeah, there's, there's definitely some stuff there that I want to repair with my child or with my partner, you know, because maybe we've gotten into it around, around this stuff before you don't have to wait till it happens again to repair. I think it means so much. It would mean so much to me if my partner, or if when I was a child, my parent came up to me and said, you know what I think I do sometimes and shared, you know, something that they do sometimes that they want to change or shift. And gosh, I mean, can you imagine like, (laughs) and I mean, with your kid, I mean, imagine when you were a kid, if you're, if the adult in your life came up to you, I was like, you know what I think I do sometimes? I think sometimes when you're, you know, when we're eating dinner, I think that I kind of assume, you know, what you feel in your body that like you haven't ate enough and that you need more. And actually the only person who knows what it feels like in your body is you. And so I think sometimes I say things like, I need you to eat, you know, two more bites before you can have a dessert. And I'm going to try to shift that and change that. And, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to really try to try to notice that next time. Or if with your partner, if you went up to them and said, you know what I think I do sometimes? I think that when, you know, you say X, Y, or Z, it really triggers, it really triggers this thing for me. And I think I respond in these ways. And and I really, I really want to try to shift that for us. Maybe we can have a a bigger conversation about, you know, how we can approach mealtime with our kids. I just think that's such a powerful step to take. You don't have to wait till, you don't have to wait till the tough moment to have this sort of repair. I have my hands in the air because I'm like, this is it. And when parents ask me, you know, they say, I'm now noticing that there are things I've done with feeding my kid that I realize I shouldn't have done. And how do I move forward from here? How do I change it? And I say, the first thing is just to tell them you realize you were doing this and it wasn't the best thing, but now you've learned something new and you don't want to force them to finish their entire plate anymore. Like you can just come right out and say it and that's okay. It's so funny because I think that for a while I really struggled with repairs and apologizing. And I definitely, there's definitely a story around that history around that in my own upbringing and my own, my my relationship with my own parents. But I really struggled in thinking that if I repair, I apologize that it's going to make me look weak or like, not like you, like not trustworthy in some ways, like you can't trust me. And because I, you know, I, I made a mistake and that definitely for me, when I, when I, when I say it out loud, it's like, that doesn't even make sense, right? Like (laughs) nobody's perfect. And like, but like, I think I just had these like underlying beliefs that would get in the way of me apologizing to my kids and repairing with them. And there's definitely old stuff that is like all wrapped up in that But when I kind of started to unpack it, I was like, no, actually, gosh, if the adults in my life would have come and repaired something with me and said, I think I do this sometimes, I would have trusted them more. I would have felt more secure. 
and more and more like this is a this is really a sturdy leader in in my home because they're so willing to acknowledge when something is not working or when something was a mistake and it's modeling to me how to repair it's modeling to me that nobody is perfect and like we're going to mess up and that that's okay and gosh I could have used some of that <laughs> when I was growing oh, up Oh absolutely I think that's so true but you're right as you started saying that I was like yeah sometimes I do feel like there is that pressure of it's bad if you were wrong so let's mm -hmm. just not even acknowledge yeah. the wrong <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe just like start changing things, but then like, but then you're not being open and clear about how things are changing. And then maybe your partner is going to be confused. Cause like they, they didn't realize that this change was happening. And so I think that it's just, it's so, it's so important to share these parts of ourselves, right. To share the, the ways in which we're beginning to think of things differently and to bring our partner into that. One thing that can happen though sometimes is if you're the one who's listening to the podcast episodes like this one, or you're following you, Casey, on, on Instagram, and you're taking in this information every day and your partner's not, I think that one thing that can be helpful that's helped us in our home is I'll, I'll share with my partner like a personal experience. Like, hey, I, I did this thing today, tried it a little bit differently with our, with our kid around this, around food or whatever the case might be, screen time, whatever it is. And it actually, I actually ended up leaving that like interaction feeling a lot better than I have in the past. And where I kind of learned about this sort of framework or this approach or this strategy was, was here. And I'm happy to like text it to you or send it to you if you want to look at it yourself and then like, and then let them do it, right? Like let them listen to it or take it, you know, take it on their own, make it their own. Because what I think is also really, really helpful for us to think about when it comes to partners and doing this together is that we both bring different skills to the table, like literally, you know, like for instance, my husband is a much more adventurous eater than I am. So like, he's more likely to put on like different like spices and different things that the kids can try, you know, and me being able to acknowledge that like he has like he also brings things to the table, I think also has really helped us in feeling like we're on the same team and like actually acknowledging those things. So like, hey, you know, something that like, I really appreciate that you do around food with our kids is blank, like just having these sort of these kind of conversations with each other, it just creates this like padding <laughs> in our relationship, this like buffer space, right, of like connection and like feeling seen and feeling appreciated that when there are the harder conversations, those are a lot easier to navigate. Now, I want to ask you what happens when you try to take this approach, you try to talk to your partner, but maybe this is too triggering for them, or you just feel like you're not getting anywhere. Like what can you do when you get stuck? I think that's a really important signal to pay attention to. So what is that? What, what do we mean by what do we mean by signal? Like if you guys are just like caught up in this cycle of like blaming, criticism, defensiveness, withdrawing, like stonewalling. Stonewalling is just like another way of saying like withdrawing or shutting down. If you guys notice that you're just caught in this cycle, and every time you have this, like you bring up this topic, you just get swept away into that cycle. It's really impacting the dynamic between the two of you, your functioning, your relationship. That's a that's, those are really important signals that point towards maybe more support being needed. 
And so, yes, I know I'm a couples therapist. That's like saying couples therapy (laughs) is really important, but like you do not need to be on the brink of divorce to find couples therapy really supportive. Just look at it like going to your doctor to get a physical, like taking care of your relationship, having these tune-ups, having a space where you can go in, you can bring these issues, you can put this this, this cycle that you're in on the table and have someone on the outside create this safe space for both of you to put de- sorry, to begin to put down some of the defense mechanisms to actually talk about what's really going on underneath in these moments it can be so so important for your relationship and for your family because i think at a lot of times what what happens here is we get so defensive and so protective of what's really happening underneath which is this desire for our partner to see that we're a good person and that we're a good parent and that we're, we want, we want to do the right thing, but we get so caught up and like so firm in our stance of like protecting that, that we, we miss each other. We're not hearing each other. It's really hard for us to be curious about our partner's story and our partner's experience when we're just trying to prove that we're a good person and a good parent. And I want you to see that. And so if someone finds themselves like really unable to have these conversations uh, without it just breaking down into these kind of toxic cycles or patterns, it can be a really important thing to take a step to get that support so you have a safe space to begin to both put down the armor. Yeah. Could it be helpful, say you're in, you find yourself seeing those signals and you think there's no shot in heck that my partner is going to be open to the idea of couples therapy, would somebody going on their own also be a helpful step? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think there's always benefit in, you know, I, I, I work with a lot of clients who like, they come in, they're like, I really wanted to do couples therapy. My partner's not, not, not into that idea. I feel like I need support. And so 100%. And what sometimes that can look like also, though, is supporting that individual in finding ways for, for them, for, for us to enlist that, that partner. So sometimes the partner will actually come to an individual therapy session initially as a support to that person. And then it can kind of demystify therapy a little bit. And then I might send a, give them a referral for couples therapy once they're ready. But I think that it's a really important thing to name here that sometimes in our roles, in our relationships, there you might take on more of the load of being the relationship caretaker. You know, like if you're the person who always kind of like is taking the pulse on the relationship of like, are we okay? Are we, what's going on? Like if you're kind of the default when it comes to that, or it feels like you take on more of that responsibility then that might actually be something that we address in individual therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how can we actually support you in, you know, getting the support that you need too? Like it's not, it, you shouldn't have to carry that load alone. So there's a lot that can happen in individual therapy. It could also be a place where you yourself begin to unpack and understand why meal times are and why food is, is, is a trigger for you. And getting, you know, not just understanding your own story, but beginning to, you know, work on your own relationship with food. That can be one of the most beautiful things that we can do for our kids too. Gosh, wouldn't it be great if, you know, if our parents had taken a step to get therapy and get support 
and I share that because sometimes we feel like going to therapy for myself can feel selfish or it feels like I'm prioritizing my, my own needs and like, oh my gosh, like you deserve all those things. Yes. But, <laughs> um, sometimes just to get someone in the door, it's they first just have to, they first come to this this place or this decision that, you know, I need to do this for my kids. And like once they're in the door, like I'm just glad they're there and then we'll, we'll work on convincing them that they deserve that support even outside of their role as a parent. But, you know, I think it's a really beautiful thing that, that you can do for your kids and for yourself and your, and your relationship. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Cassidy. This is such great insight into all of the conflicts that we come up against when we are parents. And I just like normalizing that it's completely common and normal to have these things come up, especially around food. And it doesn't mean that none of this can be worked through or that it can't get better. So I just really appreciate all of the tips you gave today because these are things that people can go ahead and implement right away and actually see an improvement. So thank you. And I just, I'll just sort of end with, you know, I'm guessing that the listener right now is most likely that one, that one person, maybe in the partnership, if you're tuning into this episode, who is the one taking in the information, listening to the podcast episodes and like doing this work and like, oh my gosh, like, like, look at you, like really take ownership of the fact that like you want to do something different here and you don't want to do it alone, right? You want to be on the same team with your partner. And so maybe the first step you can take following listening to this episode is, is taking a moment to pause and ask yourself, like in these situations where we get triggered by food or we disagree on things, like what I know about my partner's history, like what might actually be going on for them there, you know, to bring in a little bit of that kind of compassion, understanding. And then bring that compassion understanding into a conversation with your partner where you maybe say to them, hey, I really, I really want to get on the same page and be on the same team when it comes to like mealtimes and supporting our kids and developing a healthy relationship with food. So can we have that? Can we, can we set aside some time to talk about that? And in that conversation, both get, give yourselves a chance to share like your own sort of stories and what you're both bringing into, you know, your relationship with food and mealtime with your kids. And then also ask each other, like at the end of the day, what do we both want for our kids? And, and then if you have some things that you can share that have been helpful to you, share what you've noticed has been helpful and where you learned this and you can share those resources with them and then, and then give them, you know, an opportunity to look at it so that they can start to own it for themselves too. Yeah. This approach sounds so much better than my past reactions of just being like, don't say that to him while he's yeah. eating. <laughs> oh, and can that's I just say, I mean, far. <laughs> Casey, like I do that all the time still because, and, and I think that that's, I'm so glad you said that because, Hey, like your triggers are going to come up. Like you're going to take your brain's just going to like jump to like the thing that like feels like it's going to just make this thing that feels threatening stop the quickest which is sometimes, which sometimes looks like just saying, don't do that. Like, like, what are you doing? You know? And just like basically like shaming someone into not doing it. Um, and, but like, you know, for long-term impact and also for the energy around feeding, if we don't like, if we're bringing that energy and that sort of stress into mealtime with our partner, like our kids are picking up on that too. So, mm-hmm. um, I just, I, re- I try to remind myself of that and why that, why this is so important to me. 
in terms of my values and like, why, why do this, right? Like why have these hard conversations? Why take the effort of like pausing before I react? It's because there's, there's certain things that I really value that I want to, I want to bring into our family life that I want my kids to experience and learn. And so I'll bring that, I'll bring that with me and that can support the sort of energy it takes to, to do this work. Yeah. I love that. Connecting it back to your values and what is important to you with your family. I think that does also help take away some of like the little, you know, in the moment things, you know, just thinking about the bigger picture. Yep. Absolutely. Love it. Thank you, Dr. Cassidy. I will link to you in my show notes. So anybody who's listening can find you, your podcast, your Instagram and your private practice. So do you only work with people in California? Yes. Yeah. So I'm licensed in California, but they can be anywhere based in California because my practice is, is all virtual. Perfect. Love it. Thank you. Thank you, Casey, so much for having me. This was so fun. Man, I feel like just listening to her voice is like taking deep breaths. Don't you feel that way? Like calmer after just listening to her and things feel a little more manageable. Make sure to follow Dr. Cassidy on Instagram at Dr. Cassidy with a C to have a mom in your corner who promotes mental health. And then check back with me here next week for more Feeding Toddlers Made Easy. Hey, real quick, let's just take a pause from this podcast and I've got a question to ask you. When you think about bedtime approaching, what thoughts run through your mind? Are you automatically getting a little flutter in your chest because you are anxious about how and when your child will actually fall asleep? Are you rocking, bouncing, shushing, laying, patting, singing, all the things just with the hope that they will sleep for a few consecutive hours tonight? What if I told you it could be so much better? Hey, I'm Becca Campbell, your pediatric sleep consultant over on the Little Z Sleep Podcast. And I'm just touching base here with you because I need you to know just because you're a tired parent doesn't mean you have to keep being that way. In fact, we believe at Little Z's that sleep is a thing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and well-rested, and your child is so capable of sleeping through the night. If you are a parent of a child between zero to five years old, and you are ready to make sleep an actual thing in your home, I invite you to come check out the Little Z's Sleep Podcast on any podcast player or connect with us over on Instagram at Little Z Sleep, and we are excited to help you get the sleep you all need as soon as possible.